take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. A common conversation among preachers along about this week or so is um, what are you preaching on Mother's Day? Uh, terrible, hard, uh, hard decision, hard uh, thing to uh, actually uh, figure out because uh, what do you say about mothers uh, that hasn't uh, already been said and uh, pretty much nothing. And so my text this morning mentions uh, Peter's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, and so that's as close as I'm going to get uh, to a text uh, on um, on mothers this morning. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll go with that anyway. Uh, Mark chapter one uh, this morning, beginning in verse 29, and again you see Mark's um, trademark uh, as he says, and immediately uh, he, he again Mark uh, just goes from event. Uh, to uh, event and, uh, and, uh, and telling his story. And this morning as we uh, look at uh, this passage, uh, I have done something. If you're looking uh, at your bulletin, you'll notice uh, there is some fill-in-the-blanks there. I have uh, done something that I have seldom have ever done uh, in roughly 40 years, uh, and that is uh, most of you by now know that generally uh, I like to uh, alliterate my points and uh, my outlines. And this morning, as I, this week, as I, as I worked on this, Carol will tell you I sent her one that was all nicely alliterated, and then I sent her another and said, no, never mind, use this one. And uh, just uh, wanted, to, uh, wanted these points to be very clear. Uh, wanted them to be uh, something that uh, would uh, stick with you. And, um, and the reason for that, as we look at this text, uh, again, I, if you've been, uh, been here the last few weeks, uh, you know kind of how uh, this chapter has unfolded, but uh, just in case you don't remember or you haven't been with us each week, uh, it uh, began talking about John uh, and then quickly moved to uh, Jesus and how he presented himself to John for, uh, for baptism. And we had uh, that story uh, of the baptism and the dove descending and the voice from heaven. And immediately, uh, Mark records, he goes to uh, the temple. Uh, there he teaches. There he uh, deals with a demon-possessed man. And uh, now, or excuse me, uh, then I skipped over uh, the calling of uh, the disciples. He called his first four disciples and then goes to uh, the temple. And uh, I've tried to think in uh, looking at our passage this morning, where the four disciples were uh, at this point. Uh, what were they thinking? Just, just a little bit ago, uh, they were fishermen. Uh, just a little bit ago, they were mending their nets. Just a little bit ago, uh, they were in one of the most dangerous professions uh, in their family business, uh, doing what they had done since childhood. 
Uh, and now uh, they have been taken to the temple. Uh, they have watched a, uh, a man with a, a, a demon, uh, demon-possessed man, uh, have that demon removed. And uh, So you can only imagine as they now head uh, to Simon's house that these disciples are kind of they're just a little bit uh, like a kid in the candy store. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're excited. They, you know, what's next? I mean, this is, you know, this happened the first day. What's going to happen next? You know, this, uh, they had to be uh, just really uh, pumped up and really, um, you know, trying to outguess and think, what in the world will this, what are we hooked up with? Who is this guy? You know, what in the world will he do next? Uh, you know, we, if day one we start out casting out demons, you know, what do we do next? You know, what, what's, what's going to be next? And so they arrive at Simon's house, and uh, after going to uh, the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there they find that, uh, that Simon's mother-in-law is extremely sick, the Bible says, uh, with a fever. Now, I don't know what that fever was, uh, it could be a lot of things. Again, this was right around the sea, a very uh, kind of swampy, marshy area. Uh, could have been a lot of things, you know, the mosquito-borne illnesses and, uh, and those kinds of things. But uh, she had some type uh, of fever. And uh, you know, here these disciples are thinking, you know, man, this, this, we're on the greatest ride ever. And they get home uh, expecting what would have been the traditional, typical lunch after worshiping at the, at the synagogue, and only to find the chief cook uh, is laid up in the bed sick. And, you know, all of a sudden, all their, uh, their hopes, all their excitement kind of, uh, you know, you know, you know kind of out the window for a little bit. Which really brings us uh, to the first thing, that there's some things taught in, in this story that these disciples are going to need to know for the rest of their ministry. Not just their time with Jesus, but for the rest of their ministry. Even after uh, Jesus ascends back to the Father, they're going to need to remember uh, a couple of these things that were taught here in Simon's house these first few days uh, of their ministry. Uh, they're things that you and I need to be reminded of, uh, that we sometimes forget as we seek to serve uh, the Lord. And so there's four lessons here at least uh, that we need to take away uh, from this story. One of them is very simply what they run into when they walk in to this house. And that is that every, uh, or excuse me, even disciples have problems. Even disciples have problems. They, they, you know, here again, these were men uh, who in the last, just from the moment they laid down their nets and began to follow Jesus, it had been kind of a wild ride. And this has been, you know, they, they've been kind of on, you know, they went with, to, the, to the synagogue with, to the, with Jesus and heard him teach. They've seen the, uh, the, the demonic healed. No telling what they have talked about and discussed on the road as they talk together. We don't know what wasn't recorded here in, in the disciples' life uh, as Jesus walked with them and talked with them. And then all of a sudden, they come home and they get home and lo and behold, Simon's mother-in-law is sick and lunch is not ready. Even disciples have 
problems as we uh, look at this again. They, I, I think about those uh, the opening words here, verse 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, I, I, again, I, I have in my uh, again this picture in my mind of them coming out of the synagogue, almost like little children. I mean, they were just, you know, you can only imagine. This was something they had never witnessed before, something they had never seen before. And so they're thinking again, this is going to be the greatest thing, and I can't wait to see what he does next. And they get home expecting a nice meal, expecting just to kind of kick back and take the rest of the Sabbath off, probably much like many of you are today, planning on going home, going out to eat something, eating a nice lunch, getting your belly full, going home and kicking your feet up and taking a nap. You know, that, that's probably the way many of you have envisioned uh, this day. I can uh, you know, think back several years ago now. We had a, a similar uh, situation. We came to church, uh, had a good service, went ate lunch, went home. No, we didn't eat lunch, thankfully. Uh, we went straight home that day, uh, or it would have been bad. We went straight home, we walked in to about two or three inches of water covering the majority of our house. Uh, where a water line had busted and, uh, and uh, you know, there, there's water everywhere. Now, kind of a damper uh, on your Sunday morning worship. Even disciples have problems. You know, we, we, are, we, we need to uh, understand that and, and keep that uh, in our mind that uh, we, we make that mistake many times in, in the church. We tell people, oh, if you'll just come to church, oh, if you'll just give your heart to the Lord, everything will be okay. Well, it will be eventually. Yeah. One day, most days, but not every day. Even disciples have problems. Yeah, I, I wouldn't dare. Uh, you know, I could prove that point if I wanted to uh, by taking this microphone and setting it right here and having you just line up and come by and just tell the problems you've had in the last week. Yeah, and you just, 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 just yesterday, the problems you dealt with yesterday. And so, uh, again, I'm not trying to be negative and pessimistic and, and scare you away from serving God and, and tell you it's not worth it. That's not the case at all. We don't see where these disciples said, hey, you know, I thought this was going to be a fun ride, but if Mama's law going to get sick, I'm not going. Yeah, no, no that, that's not it at all. It, it's the awareness that, that, that even disciples have problems that tells us that, that we need to, uh, we, we need to, to work in, in, uh, on our faith. We need to work in our prayer life. We need to stay in Scripture. We need to stay connected to, to God's house, to worship. We need to stay connected uh, to, to God's people uh, so that we have resources uh, to do that. So that we have resources to deal with, with the problems uh, that uh, come along. Peter's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, was sick of a fever, a, a great fever, it says, a, a burning fever that, uh, that, that gripped the woman. Uh, Luke describes it. Uh, he says, and he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. I've I, I got to be honest with you, I'm not sure I know what a great fever is. Yeah, yeah, dude. A great fever is the fever that I have. 
Anybody with me on that? That's a great thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I had a doctor one time tell me the only minor surgery is what they do to somebody else. Yeah. The only minor fever is somebody else's. If it's mine, it's a great fever. I don't know what a great fever is. But it was so bad that it had put this lady to bed and stopped her from doing her duty. Stopped her from doing what was her normal routine service. Even the disciples have trouble. Again, they, 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 they uh, you know, what a, what a, a shift. You, you, can, you can imagine what that would be like. All of us have had an experience like that. You know, you, you, you know, there, there, there are people in, in this room before. I've I, I witnessed it. You come into church, we have worship, you, you worship, you sing, you, 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 we study scripture together, and you get up and you come out of church, and you batter in your car's baby, you crawl up front. Or you come out of church and you get a flat tire. Or you come out of church and fall down the steps. So, you know, all kinds of things like that happen. You, know, you, you do your best to follow God. And yet, he said, we see, we learn here, that even, even the closest disciples. Now, I would make an argument that Simon uh, developed into being one of Jesus' closest disciples, if not his closest disciples. And yet, his mother-in-law is sick. Now, well, let's, let's play that out for just a moment. We don't typically, I think, think too much about the disciples being married. We just don't. I don't, I'll be honest with you. We generally think of them as a bunch of kind of ragtag young men following Jesus around the countryside. We know at least one of them was married. If Simon's mother-in-law was sick, in bed with the great fever, who was unhappy? His wife. His wife. Thank you, Sherry. And let's play that a little further. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Men, how would you like to live in a house? where your mother-in-law had a great fever and your wife was really upset about her mother having a great fever and you just brought four men home for lunch. By the way, for you men who are maybe not been married real long, or you're just not real smart, that's a bad idea. Because I know this. Peter had not picked up his iPhone and called home and told him, I'm bringing four home for lunch. I know that. I don't know many friends in this world, but I know he had not called her or sent her a text message telling her he was bringing home four guests for lunch. He come walking in the door, surprise! Now, in Peter's defense again, he, he's all psyched up, he's all pumped up, he just saw a demon cast out of a man. He wants to kill everybody. And you think Peter has any problems? Now, Jesus 
got him out of it because he healed the mother-in-law. But had Jesus not healed that mother-in-law, whoo, boy, I hated him and Simon for about the next week or two. Simon better go on a missionary journey with Jesus. He better go on a trip. Even disciples have problems. Listen, Satan will use the problems in your life to tell you God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care about you, that God isn't paying you any attention, that serving God is a waste of your time, that serving God is useless. Why don't you just give up and quit? Look at Job. Look at how his friends talked to him. Look at how he was attacked. Brace yourself and know you're not special. You're not different because you have difficulty. Even disciples have problems. Second lesson we learn from this story is you're never too important to show mercy. You're never too important to show mercy. The first thing they did when they found out that the mother-in-law was sick and bed, the Bible says they told Jesus. How will Jesus respond to a sick mother-in-law? Well, boys, I guess we can go down the hallways and get something. I guess we're not going to get any love here. He came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and immediately the fever left her. And she ministered unto them. Folks, if Jesus, who was on already on a mission. He was already at that point, even at that point, he was already headed to the cross. He was already, as Scripture says, on a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. Right? But on the way to the cross, Jesus says, hold up, fellas. I know I've got some important stuff to do, like casting out demons. I know I've got some important stuff to do, like walking on water. I've got some important stuff to do, like dying on a cross and being resurrected. But hold on just a minute. There's a sick mother in all of the house. You never are too important to show mercy. When the church of Jesus Christ, when believers get to the point where we're too busy or too important to show those who are hurting and suffering mercy, we're too busy. We have gotten to where we think too much of ourselves. Even Jesus stopped. Jesus walking down the road 
and the woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. What does he do? He stops to take care of that woman. See what's going on. Never too busy to show mercy. It's never the point where we say it's somebody else's job. If God brought that person who needs mercy across your path, guess whose job it is? You may not be able to fix the situation, but it's your job to figure out a way that somebody can. We're, we, we, we should never get to the place where we think we're too important, too busy, too whatever to show mercy. All I can say to that is what if Jesus Christ said, I'm too busy to show mercy? When the Father said, I need someone to go down there and walk among those people and die on the cross and give his life for them, and what if Jesus would have said, I would, but I'm busy keeping the clouds where they go and helping the little birds and raising up the trees and the flowers, or I'd do it. Don't ever be so busy that you can't show mercy. I've told you before, I, I think about one, I guarantee you, Jackie and Kevin have seen this a million times. That doormat right in front of the grocery store door. It'll be flipped up, corner turned up, somebody go trip and break their neck. And there'll be a dozen people walking. Keep walking. They wouldn't even bother themselves. Kick it back up. I'm alive and I'm dying, okay? Somebody ought to get that. Somebody ought to do something. You're never too busy to show mercy. You're never too busy to have compassion. You're never too busy to show someone the love of Jesus Christ. If you are, mark some things off your calendar. If you are, get up an hour earlier so you have some extra time. Never get so busy that you can't show mercy. Third lesson for the follower of Christ, the spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. If the disciples didn't know it from their journey to the temple and the demon-possessed man, they're going to find out about it today. They go home, their spirit, you ever left church in that way, and you leave church, and, and, and your spirit's just overflowing, you can tackle hell with a water pistol. Just, just bubbling over. Can you imagine these disciples as they left church that day and they, they've seen that demonic man healed and they get home and they walk in the door and poof, mother-in-law's sick. Mother-in-law, 
healed. They think everything's going to be okay. Mother-in-law gets up, cooks some supper. They're sitting back enjoying the evening. They think everything's good. They look out the door and there's a line halfway from here to Monroe of sick and demon-possessed people standing at the door saying, we want to see that guy that's visiting in your house. They learned the first day of service something you and I need to understand. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, he said there, he said, we wrestle it not against flesh and blood, but against what? principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Peter himself would later write in the book of 1 Peter, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Spiritual warfare is real. Now, I'm not, I've said before, I'm not trying to get you to see the devil behind every closed door, every door. I'm not trying to get you to think the boogeyman's under your bed. I'm just telling you spiritual warfare is real. Satan is real. Demonic forces are real. We must, we, 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 we must believe what the Bible... Numerous examples. Jesus goes to the temple, just teaching, out his business, boom, there's a demonic, demon-possessed man. He goes home, put it on, having a nice lunch, boom, there's a sick one. He gets the sick woman straightened out. He looks out the front door, that boom, there's all the sick people and demon-possessed people in, in the next three counties standing at the front door. That's why, again, I come back to something I said a moment ago. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to prepare you and tell you because spiritual warfare is real, you need to stay prayed up, Bible up, church up, Christian friend up. I think that's a word. I think it's a couple of words. I just don't know if they all go together. Spiritual warfare is real. Folks, I, I didn't, when I left, have a flat tire. But I got a spare tire and a jack and a lug wrench. I didn't have a dead battery, but I didn't want to left. But I got complicated. I don't have anything that needs cutting. But I got my knife in my pocket. We must be aware of the fact, just as I'm aware of the fact I could have a spare tire, a flat tire, so I better have a spare. I could have a dead battery, so I better have access somewhere to some jump repairs. Spiritual warfare is real. Satan is seeking to devour you. 
your family, your children, your grandchildren. He wants to destroy your home. He'll do it any way he can, through any means possible. I'm not expecting a burglar tonight, but I lock my doors before I go to bed. I'm going to walk out those doors in a moment, and I'm not planning on running into anybody demon-possessed. I'm not planning on having to fight Satan to get to my car, but I need to walk out those doors being aware that it could be there. Spiritual warfare is real. Jesus faced it. The disciples faced it. And for you and I to think somehow we're going to avoid it is foolish. And the final lesson in this passage that I really, really, really want to, if I could peel open your head and plant this, I would. I really want this one to sink in and grab hold. Four lessons here that we see in this passage. First one, even disciples have problems. Second lesson the result is you're never too important to show mercy. Third one is spiritual warfare is real. The final lesson is this. Our decisions can have eternal consequences. Our choices and our decisions can have eternal consequences. Follow this story with me if you will. I want you to, to follow along here and see this. The Bible tells us in verse 33 of this story, and all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. We end this story with this great, let's call it a revival. I don't know if that's the right word, but let's call it that. This great event of the sick and the demon-possessed of the community being healed, being set free. It was probably the talk of Capernaum for months to come. But why did it happen? Because somebody decided to tell what had happened at Simon's house that day. Okay. Well, that happened because somebody who was inside Simon's house decided to tell someone outside of Simon's house. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Follow the logic. Well, that happened.
because somebody decided when they got home to tell Jesus that the mother-in-law was sick. Right? Somebody decided to tell them about Jesus. Somebody in the house decided to tell somebody outside the house. Somebody outside the house decided to tell everybody. But is that where it's... No. It happened because Simon decided to invite Jesus and his new friends to his house where somebody decided to tell them Jesus, Simon's mother-in-law was sick, where somebody decided to tell somebody outside what had happened on the inside, where somebody decided to tell somebody else, and so forth and so on. But that happened because one afternoon, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon mending his nets and he said, follow me. And Simon decided to follow Jesus. Do you think that when Simon decided to lay down his nets and follow Jesus, he had in his mind well, I'm going to lay down these nets and I'm going to follow him because if I do, tomorrow, Jesus is going to heal everybody in my home now. You think he thought that? Come on, you know the answer to that. Shake your head, no. Do you think for a moment, when he laid down his nets and said, I'll follow Jesus, he thought, well, I'm going to follow Jesus because tomorrow my mother-in-law is going to be sick and I'm going to want Jesus to heal. You think he thought that? Even for a moment? It's not a trick question, folks. The answer is, do you hear like this? You're used to this answer. Do you think for a moment when Simon decided to lay down his nets and follow Jesus, he thought, well, I'm going to do this. I, I really enjoy fishing. But I got a friend down in the temple who's demon-possessed, and I, I, I want Jesus to cast out that demon, so I'm going to follow Jesus. You think he thought that for a second? Y'all are going to have to cooperate. Thank you, Melissa. Simon simply decided to obey Jesus. When Caleb was much younger, I'd say to him, you want to go with me? He said, where are we going? And I said, trust me, just get in the car. And the little dummy got in the car. He didn't know anybody. He didn't, I never promised to bring him back. I've had trouble around the ditch. He can't find his way home. Simon decided to follow Jesus, and because he decided to follow Jesus, the demon-possessed man in the tabernacle had the demon cast out. Because Simon decided to follow Jesus, because he decided to invite Jesus to his house, he, he ended up, his mother-in-law gets healed. Because his mother-in-law got healed, the whole community brought the sick and the demon-possessed, and Jesus dealt with those. Because 
outside the Scientology. Decisions can have eternal consequences. That cashier that rings you up at the grocery store after a while, that waitress that takes your food order, that the Holy Spirit of God nudges you and says to you, hey, ask that young lady if there's something you can pray for her about. Tell that young man about Jesus. To have eternal consequences. Our decisions are seldom if ever made in a vacuum. Simon's simple decision to lay down his nets and follow Jesus in hours made an eternal difference in, we don't know how many people, the whole community. It just says the city was gathered together and many were healed. Many were healed. And many devils were cast out. And I can trace that every bit back to Simon saying, I'll go. I'll go. I want to ask you to ponder one thought. What if Simon, the afternoon Jesus passed by and said, follow me. What if he would have said, I can't go today. I've got to take care of my daddy's book. How much of the New Testament would be missing if Simon would have said, Nah, that's all right. I don't really know who you are. I'm going to stay here. I'm making a good living. Got a good regular job. Got a family. Obviously, he did. Got a home. Nah. I don't think really that'd be a smart thing to do. What if he would have said no? What if you say that? What if you don't follow him? Decisions have eternal consequences. Bow with me this morning. Four extremely important, powerful, powerful lessons that we need to be reminded of this morning. Even disciples have problems. Some of you this morning, Satan's beating you up, you got you thinking, God doesn't love you, you're nothing, 
because we're having problems and difficulties. Now, even the disciples have problems. The difference is, for the disciples, we have many promises. One of them says, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Even when I have problems, I'll follow. Even disciples have problems. Spiritual warfare is real. Lord, equip me. Help me throw the whole armor of God. Spiritual warfare is real. What is it? God's being with you this morning. What choice, what decision do you need to make? Some of you this morning, the decision made very well be to accept Christ. Come to, come to him for salvation. You need to come this morning. Let me show you from God's word how you can be saved. Whatever it is. But know this. Decisions have consequences. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I ask you today to stir our hearts. God, I ask you to speak to us. Take these four lessons from time to time. And use them to strengthen us and prepare us to serve you. And give you honor for what you do here, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's what you
to plan their, their mother's uh, memorial service. Uh, somebody didn't have a good relationship with their mother. Uh, all, all kinds of things. So Mother's Day for some folks is a hard day. Uh, and so keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Um, it's, it's a difficult day uh, for, uh, for some. Um, and so uh, remember them. And uh, thank God for our mothers uh, and for all that they have done for us. All right, let's now, as we do that, before we go, let me remind you uh, one last time. Uh, this coming Saturday uh, of uh, the Revitalized Conference at the Crown Point, excuse me, Cross Point, I get those two pictures mixed up. Uh, Saturday morning, uh, all day, it's free, includes your lunch. Um, and again, just the opportunity to call the team uh, and go small. Those female only are worth, uh, worth the price of zero for admission. Uh, call team, for those of you who've been around the church long, uh, worked uh, with uh, Henry Blackaby and writing the great great material experiencing God. Uh, he will be there. Doug Small uh, is, again, for, for my money, uh, the best, most dynamic, uh, greatest speaker and teacher uh, on prayer you will ever hear. Um, and so he will be there. Uh, and then uh, some other fellows uh, along with them. So it should be a great day. So I encourage you, if you're able, to go for at least a little while. Uh, it will be uh, worth your trip. All right, let's back. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day you've given us, Lord, uh, for all you do for us. Uh, God, pray, Lord, that you would uh, go with us as we would. If you God direct us, uh, or keep us uh, in your will, uh, that uh, we take your word this morning and use it uh, as, uh, as uh, a tool to guide us and to lead us as we seek to follow you. We'll give you the glory and the honor for all that you do. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you go, there's a box here with some bags of coffee that uh, Greg and Miranda uh, had a bunch of. and uh, They're bringing it. Pick it up. Take it with you. It's free. My favorite word. <laughs>